0: I hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. But then here, verse 13, there's some of those itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, this is an interesting word, I adjure you. Adjure is like as if you, um, you are compelling a person out of a place of authority. In other words, they're, they're using their authority uh, and their words to, to move you into a motivation. He says, I adjure you by what? Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of this Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them or leapt on him and mastered all of them. In other words, he just beat them up and all of them and overpowered them, and they fled out to that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, in other words, it was lifted up. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. I think I went on a little further than the script, but that's Okay. Context plus content equals meaning. Thank you. Ephesus. Ephesus, I remember this guy that was teaching the Bible to us from YWAM, Montana, uh, Mark Masucci. He said this one time. He says, Ephesus was a spiritual Disneyland. A spiritual Disneyland. man. There's many rides that you could go on. Because it was a major city of trade and, and other religions from Jewish and, and, and Africa and, and, and other Asian religions. They all kind of poured into this first century melting pot of this Disneyland of spirituality being, being Ephesus. The age of reason and logic hadn't really come to, to fruition yet. So everything… And if some of you that have been on the missions field or, or maybe you've lived in, in Asia or in Africa, this will connect with you. Everything was spiritual. Everything how it was angels, demons, magic, and superstition was rampant. People spent many hard-earned denarii to expel evil spirits and demons from their homes, their businesses, and their bodies, either illness or mental health. Ephesus was this central city that was locked, it was like a core to this practice. These itinerant Jewish exorcists were like the local branding, the practitioners, the the, the, the crew, the, quote, Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? The itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's what happened. Who you're going to call? Phone Sceva and brothers. They'll come down and exorcise the demons. And Sceva and brothers would come. See, the reality was they were Jewish priests. But something like a lot of times, you hear these, these faithful, good root kind of Baptists or evangelical pastors. They do well in the beginning stages. But then something happens. Greed and money and television, and radio, and all of a sudden, they've got uh, anointing oil, holy water, handkerchiefs, you name it. Uh, This one guy, I can't remember the guy, he has doomsday uh, buckets where you can buy, and it's got food for, like, the rapture, which I don't understand, uh, because you should be gone during the rapture, but why do you need food? But but that's what happened. Sceva had probably had good roots. He was a Jewish priest. You don't make a lot of money in the ministry. We keep telling people that. I don't have a retirement plan. He's my retirement plan. I don't make a lot of money. Don't, don't rob me. Guys come up to me and try to mug me. I'm like, are you sure? I got a whole lot of lint and lint with a double portion of lint in my pocket. But see, that was the problem with Skeva. He was he was kind of wandering around. He maybe had an exorcism here, there, and he's like, and people were paying top quality money. And then he and his brother say, Let's go into business. Skeva and sons. Exorcisms for cheap. So that's what was happening. These Jewish exorcists. This verse 13, look at again here. I adjure you by the by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They're not claiming that Jesus has any part of their own personal testimony. They're just claiming on a bunch of really powerful names. Many pagans that took on this charlatan role invoked the same kind of authority by calling on Yahweh. One ancient papyrus read, I was doing research, it said this, some people would say, I abjure you by Jesus, the God of the Jews. As if it was like, I want to make sure we cover all of our bases. Maybe this will work. Content. Jesus I know. Paul I recognize, but who are you? See, the the, the thing I love about this is the first part is Jesus I know. That know is the Greek word genosak. Genosko. And it means that there's pre-knowledge having known for a very long time. In other words, this demonic presence, this spirit is saying, Jesus I've known. Well, we all know who Jesus is. He predates the cosmos. If anything, if people are like, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is God. Here is that demonic presence actually validating the deity of Jesus Christ because of Genosco. We know him. Oh boy, do we know him. C.S. Lewis wrote in Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. You remember the story, Luke? Aslan comes back to life, breathes on everything, and everything comes back to life. Everyone's like, all all the evil was going, We killed you. And Aslan said, Well, there was a deeper magic, a more ancient magic. That's that knowing that predates all of cosmos and Genesis and creation. Genosco. It's like the, like the, the evil presence is saying, Oh, well, we know Jesus. And we got history with him. And then, Paul, I recognize. In the ESV, that's what it says. But the Greek recognize is not the same Greek word. Well, hold on, John. But that's kind of like how it is with English. There's a lot of, there's like the see and then to see. There's a lot of words that we use have different meanings. So in this, recognize it's the Greek word epistamai. And it literally means to fix your eyes on someone. Have your one's mind set on something. It's like what a detective has in an active investigation. You are a person of interest, Robert Fraser. You are a person of interest. You are a suspect. Number one, Prime suspect. It's like the, the demonic presence is saying, Paul is on our radar. We have our eyes fixed on this guy. Recognize the two different kinds of knowing and recognizing. How, what does all this mean for us? Number one, if you're taking notes, check this out. Number one, Jesus is God. The demon validates the existence and the pre-knowledge of, the, of Jesus as the authority over all. Here's the thing, what we don't hear, we never hear, Buddha I know, but, Joseph Smith we know, but, Ganesha we know, but, no, Jesus we know, oh, we know about this Jesus, The Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus that died on the cross. Yes, was he the king of the Jews? He was more than that. We sang it. He was the king of all kings and the Lord of all Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is? Come on. Oh, we know him. See, the demon validates for us that Jesus must be more than just a carpenter or a good teacher or a good prophet. Or some good rabbi. If he was just a good man, why would the demon care to even say it? Oh, man, he must be. Again, C.S. Lewis, remember Luke? You remember? He says this, Jesus must be a liar, lunatic, or a lord. Why is the enemy saying, Jesus we know? It's because he's validating that he is God. People want to know, well, the Bible doesn't even tell us that Jesus is God. Baloney. It's written right here, Acts 19. Number two, if you're taking notes, he says this. Oh, no, here's why you need to hear it. We need to remember that Jesus is God. Jesus is real. Jesus must have an impact on our faith and our own spiritual journey. See, when it comes to the enemy, it increases our faith because it, because it kind of kills off any of the doubts that we had. Let me tell you a story. I was praying for a woman. Actually, it was right when we started here. This woman came up, wore a huge, massive ski goggle-type glasses, big, big, like, sunglasses. I, did, I was wondering if maybe she had glycoma or she had some kind of cataracts. She'd come and she'd kind of interrupt right here, Karin and I. We said, let's go into Karin's office have a wee chat. I said, can you take your glasses off? Her eyes were all kind of weird and wonky. I said, okay, that's not glaucoma. That's something going on spiritually. She actually, she actually warned me. Remember, Karin? She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you. I said, oh, no, what? It's like, she's like, oh, she's like, and she hit me more than a few times. But what it did is it didn't, it didn't throw me for fear. It just increased my faith going, oh, then there's something going on here. The pull, the push and pull, the polar of Jesus and the enemy. It didn't, it didn't create doubt. It proved something to me in that moment. Even though the enemy thought it would be for evil, it showed me the wrestle is not in the flesh. It showed me that our spiritual battle is for our souls. This event was meant to distract and destroy my faith. It only reminded me of God's power and his presence. So don't get afraid when you hear these stories in the Bible of the enemy speaking, but all I should do is remind you of God's power and God's presence. Amen. Number two, if you're taking notes, is on the radar. World War II, especially during the in the Pacific, in the In the ocean, radar and sonar were were used to locate ships and submarines and aircraft. They would be able to determine if, say, if they saw something on the sonar that could be natural, like a whale, and go, well, it's big enough, but it doesn't act like a ship. It's moving around left and right. But you were considered a threat until you were recognized as a friend or a foe. They put out the call. Try to determine who you were. See, what what the demon says to the Sceva family, that he has Paul as a constant threat, and that Paul is on his radar. Paul is a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and the enemy has fixed his gaze on him. I love that in the movie Return of the King, we see... Gandalf and the, the new king, King Aragorn, going out for one last battle. He goes out to the big black gate. And he just says, For if we gotta give Frodo and Sam a chance to get to Mordor. And that eye of Sauron, you remember? It's just fixed his eyes on the enemy. So they start to do this battle against all creatures, evil. And that eye is just laser focused on that battle. Meanwhile, Frodo and Sam are Coming around, flanking, carefully meandering their way back to to get to Mordor, to where the lava is, and immediately when Frodo puts on that ring, what does the Eye do? It, that's the biggest threat. The real has the ring has revealed itself. So immediately the gaze is off the battle. That's not now the biggest threat. It starts to starts to shine on Mordor and all the Ring Race and their flying dinosaurs or whatever they were. They start flying. That's, that's the real battle, is the ring is there. They make haste to Mordor. How does that happen? See, if you guys look at this list, how do you become a threat to the darkness? I put up a list. This is actually from uh, the Billy Graham Association. Here's some characteristics that you want. If you want to be that threat against darkness, I don't I don't advocate for you to like invoke attack or enemy or some kind of combat with the enemy. Here's what I want you to do is number 1, read your Bible daily. Do you not be content to skim through a chapter merely to satisfy your hide. It says hide the word of God in your hearts. Number 2, Learn learn the secret of prayer. I love that. Learn the secret of prayer. Prayer is communicating. Every prayer that you pray will be answered. Sometimes the answer might be yes, maybe no, maybe it's wait. But nevertheless, it will be answered. Number three, rely constantly on the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit prays for us in Romans 8. And that what a comfort that should be to the weakest of us. Stand aside and let the Holy Spirit take over all the choices and decisions of your life. Number four, attend church regularly. We, We actually have a part of our core values. It's this communion, communion with God, but also communion with each other. Create that community. Be a witnessing Christian. In other words, don't just live a life as this follower of Jesus, but you need to speak the words of faith. Invite people to have a conversation about the gospel. Number six, let the love of God be the ruling principle of your life. Jesus said to those who followed him, by this all men should know that you are disciples, if you love one another. Number seven, be an obedient Christian. Let Christ have first place in all the choices of your life. Number eight, learn how to meet temptation Temptation is not sin, it is yielding that is the sin. Let Christ through the Holy Spirit do the fighting for you. Number nine, be a wholesome Christian. Our lives and appearance should commend the gospel. In other words, it should reflect, be the mirror of the gospel and making it attractive to other people. People want to go, I want to to live that life. How does that, like the Philippian jailer, how now shall I be saved? You're living a life that is so foreign to me, Paul. And last on the list, live above your circumstances. Don't let your circumstances get you down. Learn to live graciously within them, realizing the Lord himself is with you. If you can faithfully like the Apostle Paul to do just some of these 10, oh, you're going to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Amen? You are going to be a threat. Because why? Because you're, you're moving with the gospel. And last, I end with this, who are you? This is the the pointed end of this, this statement the enemy has for Sceva and his brothers. This question reminds me of this gospel passage. Let's just read it. It's in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? Then I will t- tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's exactly what was happening with the brothers Sceva. They were prophets for hire. They're doing all these things, just tacking the name of Jesus to stuff. My friend, my mentor, my guy that we helped plant a church with, Mike Ushiro, he told me of this story. He used that text to preach in Pacific Christian School in Victoria. He walked in and he did the main chapel for the the whole school, And he used this text. And he challenged him and said, you might go to a a youth group, you might go to church, you might go to to a Christian school, you might do all the right things and be a good person. And at the end of your life, the Lord might actually say, I don't know you. Oh, he thought that was a good message. Like a couple of days later, the school called him. Parents were like reporting in, telling the ministers, like how dare you? How dare you preach this text? Don't you know? Our kids go to t- exactly what he said. Our kids go to school and youth group and they go and build houses in Mexico and they do all this and they got baptized, they go to summer camp, they do this, they got straight A's in Bible Christian Christian living courses. Blah, 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 blah. How dare you preach that text to a bunch of Christian kids? Both Mike and I realize there's a reality check to that scripture. You could do all those things. And the sad part is, there might be at the end of the day, Jesus will say, who are you? I said in the evening service last week, I came up to people and they're like, hey, that was a really good sermon. I said, y'all, great, that's good. What rung, what well, was ring, sing, and sting? Don't tell me it's just as a good sermon, that's great. High fives. I said, is it ring true to your heart? Is it singing like you're like preaching to the choir? Or is it stinging? Is it piercing your soul? That question, who are you? I ask that to you, church. Are you most wanted this morning? Are you public enemy number one this morning? See, I remember my professor, Dr. Feller, in the middle of our I don't know, theology class. He got up on his chair and he started praising God. I said, well, what's going on? He's like, he goes, the enemy is attacking. I, I, like, we're, we're, we're facing this, this, and this. I said, well, wh- why are you on your chair? He's like, because we must be doing something right. And that's a big... Uh, and I, I, I kind of explain, I'm like, that's, that's big. I'm like, what's going on? But then he, he started to unpack, his, he was a missionary, and, and even his kids are missionaries in Ethiopia and Africa. There, not all, it's all spiritual. There, it's like, there is no like, hospital that you could go to in like 10 minutes. There, if someone has a debilitating disease or illness, you just got to rely on Jesus. Are you most wanted? Is, are, you on someone's, are you on someone's hit list? Paul was. And so are you by the grace of God. See, the invitation of the cross is for you to be a child of God but you become the, the enemy of the enemy. I remember this one guy, he was a pastor on, in the inner city, inner city. And he said, he goes, the enemy doesn't need to be in the bar. He's got them. Doesn't it, he doesn't need to operate in, in the, the, the strip joint or any of those places, or the drug den or the crack house. The enemy doesn't, he doesn't have to be there. It's, it's already a sealed deal. He wants to work with the enemy. The enemy is you. He's playing a target on your back. Why? Because you're a threat to darkness, amen? And everywhere you go, you bring in the light of Christ. You go into a hospital room, you bring in the light of Christ. You go into a, you go into a dark conversation where people don't know Jesus, soon you walk in, you bring that light of Christ into it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And you are more than conquerors in his name. But the question comes down this morning. And you online. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? I'm going to invite the band to come up. And part of our ministry for the heart this morning as we enter into a time of worship, but also for you just to take a moment in that place and space where it rings, sing, and stings. And I'm going to be down here to pray afterwards as well, but ask that question. Who are you? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.